Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, including all the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Sheena Yap Chan. Our special guest joining us today is Monica Emery, who is the Executive Director for Center for World Music. Monica, we're so excited to have you here today. Welcome. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. Can you can you share a little bit about Center for World Music? Sure. Uh, so we are a nonprofit organization based in San Diego. Our mission is to promote intercultural awareness and understanding through in-depth encounters with the world's performing arts traditions. Uh, so in essence, what we do is we connect world musicians uh, with San Diego audiences, young and old. We work in schools, we work in partnership with libraries, community centers, and uh, we reach out to as many people as we can to be able to share the beauty of these diverse traditions and the enriching experience of what it means to hear, see, or be part of these performing arts. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. I love, you know, everyone, anytime there's like diversity and bringing voices together, it's so important, especially now as, you know, there's more people out there who want to showcase their talent, who want to heal the world through music. Um, I think now is a great time to do that. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your upbringing. You know, were you born in America? Um, what was it like growing up? Well, the cool thing about my job is that not only do I love what I do as an executive director, but it touches close to home because it's about, you know, very much about my experience growing up. So I am first generation born Filipino, Chinese, born in New Jersey, only speak English, look Chinese, but have curly hair. <laughs> so it's this really interesting combination of uh different cultural influences, genetics that um, have kind of shaped my childhood. So my mother's Filipino, Gigi, her, and my father's Chinese from Hong Kong, and they met in the US, their common language was English. So that is why I learned English at home. Uh, and growing up, I had a lot of um, friends, but not a lot of Asian friends. So it was always this really interesting experience um, being in the confluence of culture and what it meant for me as an individual. Uh, so, you know, in the context of my friends, I was Asian, but in the context of Asian communities, I was Filipino or I was Chinese or I was neither both because I was a combination. So it was a interesting ping pong back and forth when it comes to identity. Um, so I grew up with this fascination with where culture meets and what it means. And so I went to American University for international relations and uh, politics and uh, decided politics wasn't quite the approach I wanted to take to this interest of um, the meeting of cultures. Uh, so after I graduated from American University, I decided it was time for me to get some international work experience because I didn't study abroad when I was at American. So I moved to Japan, um, and there I got to teach English. I was there for five years, and it was an incredible experience. I mean, just being able to be in a place, I don't speak the language. I know nothing about the culture, um, but I was able to blend in, if you could imagine that. <laughs> but uh, I think one of the most uh, 
memorable experience I had in Japan was when uh, one of my students invited me to audition for their community orchestra. And, you know, I wasn't really playing violin actively. I just had it with me just because I had played all my life. Uh, I auditioned and they invited me to be to to play with them. And so I practiced with them with my limited English. But the amazing experience of that is that um, that invitation to practice with them, to play with them, was more than just the musical experience. It was a time where the invitation also meant being part of a community in a very different way than I had ever experienced in Japan. And so um, it was that moment that I really realized that there are bridges that bring people together. And those bridges can be so powerful because it's not just the music, not just the topic, but it's the, the whole experience of getting to do that, like getting having that experience and being active in something with other people. Um, and so that experience kind of led me to want to study more. So I went back to school for a graduate degree in um, education, leadership, and policy studies with a focus uh, towards international um, global competency and cross-cultural success. Uh, and that was really wonderful because I had an opportunity to really deep dive into what it meant to learn across cultures. and. Um, how you can be working with people or a topic, but if it's international, it really spoke to my love for uh, opportunities for people to connect. I love it. Um, I'm, I'm actually also Chinese, born in the Philippines. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I've been to Japan. I love Japan. I mean, I'm a huge matcha fan. So that was like the best thing to do is to to go eat matcha and go visit the Hello Kitty uh, cafe. But, you know, I... I love that you mentioned like you auditioned for, you know, a musical in Japan and you got accepted and the, um, what you mentioned about, you know, connecting and, you know, building, building communities and building like a purpose through like the actions you do. And I think one great group that does that is BTS, right? Let's face it, whatever they put out there, everyone loves it. You know, they literally heal the world through their music. I mean, not all of them can speak English, but, you know, their their lyrics are powerful, right? Because it can really resonate to anybody, right? Um, they talk about, you know, what they feel, their fears, their doubts. And that's why the fan base, like the armies love them. And, you know, they have armies in like Brazil and Turkey and like Nigeria. And it's like, that is the most random places in the world. But because uh, their way of communicating and their way of, you know, putting their message out there is so powerful that it's, that everyone can 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 listen, right? It's a language for everyone. Music is a language for everyone. So I really love that you mentioned that because I think sometimes too we get bogged down by like language barriers and thinking mm -hmm. like, oh well, you know she can't speak English, so I don't know what she's talking about. But we don't have to, right? Now, especially in the world of technology, we have Google Translate or even on our Apple phone, Apple Translate, right? So just because um, language, we feel like language can be a barrier. It doesn't have to be right. And there's always different ways of doing things, different ways of connecting, different ways of, um, putting, getting communities together, like kind of like what you've done. And I know you mentioned growing up, you know, you were like the only Asian person, you know, in your group of friends. <laughs> what was that like? Like, did you feel like, you know, 
like, did you feel like, you know, you wanted to be another type of person because you were the only person that didn't have blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, didn't, um, you know, had smaller eyes, you know, like, what was that like for you? <laughs> hmm, that's a good question. You know, it was, it's interesting because when you're a kid, all you want is to belong. And when you see in media, you see in cartoons, you see in movies what people look like and how the popular people are and, you know, how you're supposed to engage with other people. And you don't quite fit that square, but you want so much to be that. It can be really painful for you. And so there was a time where I just really wish I wasn't who I was. Um, and in that effort to just try to fit and, but I just never did. There was a time that I was just like, okay, you know, I, I'm going to try to be Chinese as Chinese as I can, or as Filipino as I can still couldn't fit. And then I started realizing, actually, you know what, there, there is no reason for me to try to fit because there is no specific person that looks like me. I have the experiences I have. I have the things that my parents have given me through their culture. I have this experience growing up in New Jersey and, you know, having all these amazing diverse friends who just happen not to be <laughs> Asian, but that's who I am. So, you know, just being able to sit with myself and recognize I may never fit these images of beauty. I may never be whatever it is that people want me to be, but I am who I am and I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I love that. And especially too, growing up, you know, in, in the States or Canada where you feel like you're the only token person, right? Or, you know, watching watching TV shows and movies where there's no Asian characters, like you feel like you don't belong to society or you feel like a failure to society because you're not a certain way. Well, that's how I felt <laughs> growing up because mm -hmm. I never saw anybody and just felt like I needed to have blonde hair and blue eyes just to uh, be considered beautiful, right? And really, the first movie that really came out that had like an all Asian cast was The Joy Luck Club. I loved it. It was, it's still one of my favorite movies. I mean, I watched it again a couple weeks ago, but at one point, they almost uh, wanted to have uh, Caucasian characters in it, right? Because, you know, people always think Asian people aren't bankable, Asian people aren't bankable. But we look at movies like Crazy Rich Asians, right? Everything, everywhere, all at once, where every, like, you know, getting good reviews, making money. And so I'm really glad that uh, you were able to just appreciate who you truly are, right? And it's easier said than done, of course, right? Because of our upbringing. You know, have you ever, mm -hmm. um, especially in the in the path that you're in, right? I'm pretty sure sometimes, like as, par as Asian parents, you know, they're always like, well, why aren't you a doctor, an accountant? How are you going to make money, you know, teaching music? Like, did they ever like question like your your choices and your career or did they ever like tell you how is this successful right like i mean i'm sure there there was something or i could be wrong but i i would love to hear your input <laughs> <laughs> yeah so with my mother being filipino you would assume that i would be a nurse like yeah. all of my cousins all my aunties all my uncles um and so i was actually uh I have a few cousins that are not nurses, um, but everybody else is. So, you know, that path is, you know, I think when you have a family that already knows 
those particular um, uh, occupations, it becomes a little bit easier because they tell you, okay, now you need to do this. You can't forget your exams. You need to know anatomy. You know, you're prepared. You could smooth your way through and you try to get this particular kind of job um, because it has good hours or it has pensions, whatever it may be. Well, you know, I didn't benefit from that because I didn't have it. But it, it was okay because I have, I'm so glad my parents were supportive of me. Um, they, they knew that I always loved leadership positions. I always loved working with people. I was fascinated with learning about different kinds of people and what they do. Um, I loved visiting the United Nations. I had an internship there. Um, and that was all just so exciting to me. But it was interesting because when I think back to my younger self, the only people that I saw that were public faces, and I'm going to date myself, was Connie Chung. So that was, uh, you know, I saw myself, I'm like, maybe I can be a journalist. That would be amazing. And then um, even, you know, around that same time, the first Asian face that was not uh, a mockery of, of our, <laughs> our ethnicity was in um, Karate Kid. And in Karate Kid, you know, somebody actually loved the Asian girl. And so <laughs> that was like my my inspiration for anything I could do in the future. I could be Connie Chung or I could be in Karate Kid. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think the one thing that I knew growing up was I loved the, the intersection of cultures. And I knew that I wanted to be able to do something with that. I wanted to be able to find a way that I can engage in that space to either have conversations or to share, you know, what I know or to create opportunities for other people to share. And so um, it's, it's actually quite amazing that I came to the Center for World Music because I wasn't actively playing violin, but it was something that I had from my past. I had my absolute passion and love for the intersection of cultures. Um, and then I was just introduced to the center and I've been there for uh, nearly eight years now. Wow, that's amazing. And, um, you know, it, it's it's funny that all it takes sometimes is one familiar face to show us what's possible, right? Like Connie Chung. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, she was like a fixture in the news media. Um, then we had All American Girl with Margaret Cho, you know, the first TV sitcom that had an Asian cast, you know, all Asian cast. It only lasted for one season, but you know, they start opening doors, right? They started breaking down walls to realize, hey, there's people here that, you know, could also be on TV and can be funny and can also bring entertainment to the country. Um, and then we had Joyla Club. And then fast forward 25 years, we had everyone else like fresh off the boat, crazy rich Asians, and so on. And we're constantly um, creating more representation, right? Even better representation. Like just last weekend, mm -hmm. I saw a trailer for Netflix called Partner Track, and it centers around an Asian woman who wants to make partner. And imagine being an Asian woman trying to become partner in a law firm, and she's up against an all-white um, male colleagues, right? Like that's never easy, right? That's That's <laughs> – you know, she has to prove her worth a hundred million times more because she's not only a woman, but an Asian woman and have to break through all the negative stereotypes. Now, I know mm -hmm. you mentioned, you said you interned for the UN. I mean, how did you get that? And what was that like? <laughs> well, I got to say, I'm very thankful for the networks <laughs> that surrounded my parents. Uh, yeah, my mother was able to uh, connect me with one of her friends who worked at the United Nations. So I got to work in... Um, 
public dissemination. So what we did was in, in that department was to welcome groups so that they can learn more about the work that occurs in the, in the United Nations. And it was such a wonderful experience. And the people that are working within that institution are just, you know, incredible, you know, five, six languages speak fluently. They could go beat back and forth between those. They can read, they can write, they know the history, they have a history of multiple different countries. And it's just, you know, to be surrounded by that, such intelligence and such empathy and uh, motivation to just make the world a better place. I mean, that's, that's the type of people I would just love to surround myself with. Um, but, you know, I ended up on the West Coast, so I, I, I appreciate that. I now have my husband and my son here. So, um, and, you know, I feel like I'm doing my job, my desire to, just like the United Nations doing their, their job, I feel like what we do at the center kind of prepares our young people for moving forward in positive ways. Um, so, you know, we, we can't all be... Uh, in the center of it all, but what we could do is help that center radiate out. And so I kind of feel like I'm a satellite of all of that. Thank you so much, Monica, for sharing all that. I'm sure everyone's, you know, wa wanting to know now how to get into the UN and intern for them as well, because it's such a great opportunity. Um, I know, you know, in our past conversations, you always, uh, you, you keep bringing the word leadership, right? You're very passionate about leadership to always talking about being a leader. And, you know, and when it comes to Asian women, it's not always typical, right? Like there's a report from catalyst.org that, uh, had a survey about the representation of women of color in management and leadership positions in the U S based in 2021. Um, and Asian women only had 2.7% which is very low, 2.7% representing over what, 24 million Asian Americans in the U.S. So for me, like, what does, what does leadership look like to you? And, you know, how are you able to, you know, forge your own path to be the leader that you're meant to be? Because of course we want more Asian women leaders out there, right? There's a lot of Asian women who are bosses, but we never talk about it because our upbringing always tells us never make any noise. Don't be so shameful. Don't promote yourself. Don't brag about your achievements. But you know, what, for you, what was, what did leadership, what does leadership look like for you? Um, so I, when I think about leadership, I feel like it's a gift, actually. I feel like it's something that um, when you're working with people, uh, that if you relay a sense of confidence, if you honor the way people talk about things, and if you consider yourself a leader in a way that supports the community that you serve. I think it's much easier in that way to serve as a leader. You know, at the center, I have amazing people that I work with and I feel like my job isn't to rule over and tell them what to do, but I feel like my job is to make sure that they have every resource, they have the, the support that they need to do their jobs well. And that's same with all the artists that we work with, um, you know, because they are, the mass, their master artists, they have this tradition that they've worked their, their life around. And my job uh, as the executive director of the Center for World Music is to continue to push them forward and um, provide a path, hopefully more smooth than the ones that they've had before. Um, and the thing is, I'm a, I consider myself a lifelong learner. So I, am, I continue to 
um, engage with um, mentors. I look towards uh, educational opportunities so that I can continue to become a better leader. I will. I don't think I'd ever say that I'm like a, the best leader out there because if ever I did, then I, <laughs> I think I'd be chewing myself in the foot. So I'm always open to learning. And I think in doing that, um, I just want people to come along with me. And so it's, you know, just join me. It's not about me leading, but it's almost about us coming together as community to move forward all together. Yeah, I love that. And, I, you know, I think some people have a misconception of leadership, right? Thinking like they're the boss, you have to follow me, but it's not about walking in front of people. It's walking side by side. And when it comes to leading, it's really just leading by example, just going out there for your, your own path. And of course, it's never going to look perfect, right? You're going to make mistakes along the way. Um, there's days where you probably want to ugly cry because you're not sure what you're doing is makes sense or not. But I mean, that's all part of the process, right? And I think if people just understood what it really took, um, then they realize, okay, it's just all part of the process, especially when we see like, you know, public figures um, on media, on social media or on TV, we're like, oh, they had it made. You know, we always see all the glory, but never the story, right? The, the mm -hmm. hours of like mm -hmm. knocking on doors, breaking down barriers to get to where they are today. Like, let, let's say like Connie Chung. Okay. Like Connie Chung was literally the only Asian female journalist that we knew of at that time, like in the late 80s, early 90s. But imagine what she had to go through, what barriers she had to push through, how many people who belittled her or gave her backhanded compliments because she was an Asian woman, like all she had to go mm -hmm. through to be on TV to report the news, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure she's had her fair share, right? Or even like, I remember interviewing an actress in, um, you know, she's been an actress for like over... 30, 40 years, right? And being an Asian woman actress in Hollywood at that time was rare, very rare. And if they were casted, they were like the typical Asian roles, right? But imagine right. what they had to get to, like get through to get to that, to open doors for all of us, right? And as, as a leader, mm -hmm. you know, that's what we do too. We do our best to open doors for everyone else, create more possibilities. That's why representation is so important. And I love that you mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. it's not about who's better, who's high, who has a higher rank. You know, I'm always open to learning. It's about being open, right? Opening, to, open to suggestions, open to learning, open to different mentors, open to different, um, e even strategies, right? Like it, it, it's, mm -hmm. there's just so many things when it comes to leadership. And, um, I love that you mentioned all that, you know, I think this, these are things that most people don't talk about. Um, but I'd love to l learn a little bit about, um, the Center for World Music, right? I mean, you said you get, you know, what, what, like, who is like the, the typical artist that would come to your nonprofit, right? Is there like a criteria that they go through or a process or do they audition? Um, or is it just they have a love for music and you guys are just shaping them into be the musicians that they're meant to be? It just, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, especially as your role as the executive director. Okay, yeah. So um, the way I imagine it is the center sets up the stage. So it's on the stage that we invite musicians to perform. Um, and those musicians tend to be individuals who have spent their whole life studying the tradition that they're focused on. So the idea is that this tradition has been passed down from generation to generation. Um, and it, it carries with it meaning. It's not just the performance. It's not the, just the entertainment experience of it, but it has meaning. If it be uh, connected to religion, if it be connected to rites of passage, or, um, you know, or if it's poetry. 
So a lot of the musicians that we work with um, have this training that they've learned for, you know, that has been passed to them generation to generation. And many of them are also changing the traditions to make them um, alive again. And the idea is to continue to perpetuate this interest in uh, the performing art that they are teaching. And so uh, what we do is open the stage and we want them to share not just the musicality or the performance of the dance, um, but also to talk about why it's important to them and why um, why they continue to do what they do. And, and in doing that, the audiences are able to connect just not on the experience of it saying, this is good, this is bad, but to say, oh, wait, I understand. Okay, wait, this is a totally different perspective. This is poetry through music. This is um, a religious moment. This is this is why I don't eat when somebody performs. You know, it's just like a um, with, within that experience, it's just so robust that there's so much that you can grasp. Um, and we're trying to pull back the curtain and just reveal the very human experience of making that performing art. Um, instead of, you know, separating the audience from the performer, we want people to feel more connected to it. Um, and that's why we have the elements of it being in depth because people are able to talk with the musicians, able to ask questions. Um, and the children are able to touch the instruments, to play the instruments, and it becomes part of them. And they have that, that internal connection to it because it's now part of what they know, their experience. So when they move forward in life, they can say, oh, yeah, I played Indonesian gamelan, <laughs> which is a percussion instrument. So um, we want these gifts to be passed on to people, the children, the adults, so that when they move forward in life, they're able to share their personal experiences as well. Yeah, I think it's so important, especially like, you know, music, it could be a form of self-expression, right? And that's what it should be, right? Being able to express ourselves, who we are, and be able to connect with the audience in a way that they understand, right? It's why um, BTS is BTS, right? They know how to connect with their audience, right? Anything they put out there is sold out in minutes because they've learned how to create that connection. They learn how to uh, talk to their audience. They know what their pain points are and how they can be, you know, that guiding light to heal them throughout the process, right? Um, I mean, even if they don't speak English, you could still feel it, right? Like their actions speak louder than, than words. And so, you know, I think that's amazing that you have this platform where, you know, people don't have to feel afraid of expressing themselves, being able to use music on a deeper level and not just to play an instrument or sing a song or, um, you know, just, just for the sake of it, right? When people put meaning into it, it does make a bigger difference, right? Because, uh, you know, human connection is very important. We all learned that from the pandemic, right? Um, <laughs> so it's so so it's really important to create that so we can, you know, connect with the audience so they can also have that experience and realize what's possible for themselves. And is there any like um, upcoming events that the organization has uh, later this year that you want to share with us? Yeah, so, well, we'll be working in the schools. So we work um, with the district across San Diego, bringing musicians into schools. 
Um, but in January 2023, we start our series uh, of concerts. So we're going to have it. Uh, some of it will be in the Minge International Museum. Uh, others will be scattered among uh, different venues in San Diego. And we also have this really exciting initiative that we're doing. It's called Music on the uh, Music on the Move, and it's a year-long project that we are exploring the role of music, dance, and the related related arts in refugee, asylee, and migrant communities in San Diego. And so the idea is to explore how they create home through performance, if it be about the relaying of culture of a home they used to know, or if it's just simply about finding the joy and coming together in a celebration with music and dance and um, other related uh, performance arts. Uh, so we're really excited to be able to work with um, those communities. We had a really wonderful time in 2018, um, and we con connected with so many amazing musicians and dancers and communities that we just really want to do again. So we're as we reach out in 2023, we expect to be doing programming and public programming uh, around World Refugee Day and Make Music Day in June. So if anybody is interested, <laughs> our website is... Uh, centerforworldmusic.org and you can find our events there. Awesome. I was about to say, where where can we check out some of these things? I can't believe 20, we're talking about 2023. I mean, I feel like 2022 just started, but you know, I, know. I just have one more question for you. You know, if there's any, uh, if, if, you know, to the woman or person who's listening to this and they kind of want to be in the same field that you're doing, you know, what's, what kind of advice would you like to give them to like move forward or even set that path? I think Embrace your authentic self. Just know that you are a unique and different individual than anybody else. And if your heart brings you to work with music for whatever reason, if it's music, if it's dance, or if it's that intercultural component, um, if you put your heart into what you value and you continue to make decisions around that value, you will come to a place or a position or a job or an experience where it speaks to your heart. And when you have something that speaks to your heart, then you know that you're in the perfect place. Thank you so much, Monica, for having a, uh, for being here on the show today to share your story and about the organization. We're so excited to have you here. Sheena, thank you so much for having me. It has been really fun exploring this and talking with you about uh, these topics. So take care and thank you so much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And it's so true. You know, I know it sounds cliche or maybe we've heard it a million times, but, you know, being authentic is your superpower. So I love that you mentioned that. And I really just want to thank Monica today for joining us today. To learn more about Monica, please visit centerforworldmusic.org. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts. If you would like to support our program and make a donation, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Sheena Yapchan. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Until then, take care, everyone.